Great to be with you. If you're visiting, I'm Scott. I'm one of the pastors on staff. I am so grateful today that my father-in-law is speaking, and uh, like uh, my better half, his better half is here. His uh, wife, my mother-in-law, Miss Marilyn, should be in here somewhere. Would you stand? Let us just recognize you, Miss Marilyn. Would you stand? Are you there? She is in the very back. Thanks, Miss Marilyn. Uh, we've had our family with us all week, and uh, I have loved it. And you know, I'm in God's house. I'm not lying. I've loved being with my family. With the exception of two moments, two moments. One of them was on the basketball court where we were playing basketball and none of my sons would pass to me. And I'm like, done. You got to pass to me, boys. Come on, man. I know I'm 49. I know my hops are about like that, but you can pass to me. They wouldn't pass to me. Uh, something else bothered me. Oh, that was just Melissa and I. We got a little tiff. But I, I had a great time with my family. I get another couple days with them. Uh, all, I think we have 10 uh, staying with us. And it's been awesome. There are three southern cooks in the house, and it's been a great, filling, full week. My father-in-law is here. He's going to share from God's Word. He's from Oklahoma. You're going to hear an Oklahoman today. Uh, You're going to hear a a football player today. You're going to hear a missionary to Moscow, Russia today. Uh, You're going to be in for a treat. Would you welcome my father-in-law, whom I love, Max Goins. I thought you said you were going to talk 30 minutes. It's nice to be here today. We always enjoy being here and seeing your bright, shiny California faces. Good place. We love it. We are also very thankful for the way you uh, take care of our family. Ah, Scott asked me to kick off the year uh, today by talking about what I thought was going to be the theme for the whole year, uh, telling your story. Uh, So I'm going to go ahead and preach like I think you're going to do that all year long, even though I read the little card outside, and that's just for today. (coughs) But uh, again, I'm glad to be here, very, very glad to be here. Jesus, the book of Mark, is a wonderful presentation of the gospel. You know, each one of the gospels is written for different reasons. And uh, Mark, being an evangelist and wanting to go from place to place preaching the gospel, didn't want to carry one of these big King James uh, Dake Bibles, you know, that are about that thick and weighed 14 pounds. So when he wrote his gospel, he wrote it brief. And to the point. And when you, if I, I challenge you to do this, I challenge you to go home today and take the Gospel of Mark and begin to read it. And I want you to look, I want you to look for one word, and that's the word amaze or amazed or amazing, some form of that word amaze, because that's the theme of, you know, this evangelist who wanted to get the attention of people immediately wanted them to know how amazing Jesus was. Jesus went. Jesus went from being an obscure fellow in a little village where he was the town carpenter. Almost overnight, 
he became one of the most popular personalities in all of the Holy Land. And people just flocked to hear him preach, to see him work miracles and do all of the things that he did. The first sermon that he preached, when he got through preaching, (laughs) the people said, wow, we never heard anybody talk like that. He talks like he knows what he's talking about. And sometimes we preachers who preach don't talk like we know what we're talking about. Right? I shouldn't say that. Scott probably talks. He probably knows what he's talking about all the time. He's not like me. <laughs> but uh, Jesus, he had a problem right off the bat. Does anybody know what the problem is? Hmm, what was that? Popularity. He was so overly popular, he couldn't do anything. He went to a home, and folks wanted to bring their friend to get him healed, and they couldn't even get to him, you know, because he, there were so many people packed around. And so it seems like he would go someplace, preach and teach, the people would flock around him, and then in self-defense almost, he would try to find some quiet place. Now, his ministry began uh, on the, in the northern part of Palestine, the Holy Land. Uh, on the north end is the Sea of Galilee, and his home, like if this was the Sea of Galilee, use your imagination, if this was the Sea of Galilee, his hometown of Nazareth was right over here. But when he began his ministry, he moved his home to the city of Capernaum, which was right on the very northern point of the lake. But he went back and forth, back and forth, because he'd preach over here on the the, uh, western side of the Sea of Galilee, and there would be so many people flocked, he couldn't eat, he couldn't sleep, he couldn't do anything. So he and his disciples would get in a boat, go across, get on the other side. Same thing would happen. The people, as soon as they found out where he was, they'd circle around the lake and cover him up again. And he'd have to find another way of escape. But in the fifth chapter of Mark, there's an interesting story that I want to uh, uh, share with you. It's, uh, it's actually almost the whole chapter, and I'm not going to read all of it. I'm just going to give you the max translation. Jesus had crossed the Sea of Galilee from west to east, in order to be able to have some quiet time. When he gets to the other side with his disciples, about the same time they pulled the boat up on the ground, there's this wild and crazy guy who has an evil spirit that comes running. Jesus, Jesus, what do you have to do with me? The evil spirits always confronted him like that. Like they were going to be able to lick him in some way. You know, like arm wrestling, things of that nature. And uh, Jesus always dealt with them calmly. And he just simply asks this guy, what's your name? That's interesting, isn't it? And the guy said, my name is Legion because there are lots of us. And uh, to make a long story short, Jesus 
Kath, the, the evil spirits that are in this man, uh, ask if they can be put in a herd of pigs, and the herd of pigs runs, jumps over a cliff, drowns, and uh, so now we have this guy who's been wild and crazy, and everybody was scared of him. Now, the people from town come, and they find him. It's interesting, the Bible says he's clothed, sitting in his right mind. That means the clothes that you wear sometimes uh, tell people what kind of a person you are. I shouldn't have said that, should I? <laughs> but it's true. <clears throat> but Jesus got ready to go because, again, the crowd started building up. Jesus wanted to get in the boat, go back over to the other side of the lake again. This guy came running up, begging Jesus to let him go with Jesus. Jesus said, no, 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 I, I can't let you go with me. This is what I want you to do. Let me read it for you. He said, uh, go home, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had compassion on you. And the 20th verse says, and he departed, and he began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Jesus always amazed everybody with the things that he did. But here's, here's a man who wants to start traveling with him, wants to be a part of the Billy Graham evangelistic team. And Jesus said, no, 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 I want you to go home. I want you to tell your family and your friends the marvelous thing that God has done for you. Now, my friends, I want you to pay attention to that because that's what you need to do. The most important witness this church has in this community is for the community to see what God is doing in your life. We all have a story. You have a story. I have a story. I, I, what I'm going to do today, uh, I'm really, I don't call this a sermon. I'm going to give you my personal testimony. I'm going to tell you the story of my life. You know, when I was nine years old, uh, <clears throat> I became a Christian. One Sunday, I was sitting about halfway back up in the in the aisle on right on the aisle on this section of the the auditorium and I got up went down to the front with that's the way we did it then you know in old time days we had invitation hymns and you had to sit there and fill out a little piece of paper and tell them why you came what you wanted to do and then the preacher came along and so I'm sitting there filling out this piece of paper and thinking about the fact that I am going to get baptized and I'm going to be a Christian and the voice of God, the voice of God spoke to me as plainly as I am speaking to you today. He said, boy, now I was used to that because that's the way my grandpa addressed me. You know, once when I was five, my grandpa said, boy, your name is Goins. That means you are going to be a Baptist and a Democrat. <laughs> and... I can't say I was really either. But needless to say, God 
said, boy, I want you to know there's a whole lot more taking place here than just a little nine-year-old boy in Miami, Oklahoma, getting baptized. He said, I am getting ready to take you on an adventure that is going to last the rest of your life. And I can stand here today and tell you that that's, my, my life has been an adventure from the beginning to the end. Uh, it's no less now than it was uh, when I was nine years old. I'm soon be 75 now. And I feel the touch of God on my life, and I can hear the voice of God just as much today as I did then. And he speaks on a regular basis when he has something terribly important to say. And the reason God does that is because there are always lots of distractions. Even with Jesus, Jesus was baptized and immediately the Spirit led him in the wilderness and he was confronted with, by Satan and Satan challenged him about all of the things that God wanted him to do. Your, your life is like that. Also, when I was nine years old, uh, my oldest brother was in the Navy. Uh, he was in uh, the Korean War at that time and I decided that uh, the way little boys do, I decided it would really be great to be a Navy pilot and be able to land a plane on an aircraft carrier that was bouncing around in the ocean. So I wrote to Senator Mike Monroney from Oklahoma, told him, I said, I would like to go to the Naval Academy so I can be a pilot. He wrote back and said, uh, it's very unusual for... uh, a nine-year-old boy to know so strongly what he wants to do in life. But he said, I'm going to put your letter in my file, and when the time comes, I'll consider you to make an appointment to the Naval Academy. So that was when I was nine years old. Uh, so the two things were creating a tension in my life because... First of all, how can a man who God wants him to be a preacher be a Navy pilot? I'm sure there's ways it could be worked out, but it wasn't being worked out, and it caused a great deal of tension for a number of years. When I was a junior in high school, I got a nice long letter from Senator Monroney saying, well, you have your appointment to the Naval Academy. You need to report to the federal building in Oklahoma City and uh, fill out some papers. And uh, they may ask you to take a test or two, but you have the appointment to the Naval Academy. So I went to Oklahoma City, the very same building that blew up, you know, a few years ago. And I'm standing there waiting on my turn to go in and fill out all these papers and get ready to go to the Naval Academy. And God... (laughs) spoke to me again. And he said, why are you wasting my time? Or why are you wasting your time? You know and have always known, this is not what I want you to do. So I went in the office, told the secretary that was processing all of those things. I said, I am sorry that uh, I took up your time. Uh, This is not, you know, a a part of what I want to do in life. So I went home. 
wrote to Senator Monroney, thanked him for the appointment, and uh, that was the end of that story, the end of that kind of temptation. Well, when I got on up in high school, I had another distraction. And the distraction was, I turned out, because it was in my genetic, uh, I turned out to be a, a very good football player. And I was uh, highly recruited. I'll tell you an interesting story. Uh, the University of Oklahoma and Oklahoma State University uh, and the University of Arkansas, all three of the major schools in our part of the world, uh, were recruiting me. And I made my official visit to Oklahoma State the day they played Oklahoma in what they call the Bedlam Bowl. They didn't call it that then. It was just a football game. But I'm sitting on the bench with the Oklahoma State football team, and this was the year Prentice Gott. I don't know if you know Prentice Gott. He was the, actually the first black guy that ever played football for the University of Oklahoma. You can't imagine that now, but in those days, uh, it was like that. So Prentice got, they pitched him the foot. He was a tailback. They pitched him the football. He ran around the right end for about 50 yards. Uh, second play of the game, they pitched him the ball. He ran around the other end the rest of the way for a touchdown. And I thought, hmm, maybe I'm sitting on the wrong side of the field today. <laughs> That's how, how your plans, you know, when God has a plan. And I'm telling you these stories because the book of Jeremiah says that God has a plan for you. He has a plan for you. The 139th Psalm indicates that this plan is written down, including the day you're going to be born and the day you're going to die before you're ever born. So God has a plan for you, and you need to be submissive to the things that he wants to do. But let me finish my football story. <clears throat> my father was an All-American football player in college, and his older brother, my Uncle Luther, was also an All-American. And my father had one, one dream in life for his boy. That was he wanted me to follow in his footsteps and play for Northeastern Oklahoma, be an All-American football player, and then play for the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, I'll give you a trivia question. See if any of you can answer. In the year football season of 1959, did you know that all of the football championships were run, won by schools from Oklahoma? Oklahoma University won division, what's Division One now? I think it was just called Large College then. Uh, Northeastern Oklahoma in Tahlequah won the uh, Division Two now. Uh, I think they just called it Small College then. And then uh, Northeastern Oklahoma A&M won the Junior College National Championship. Played uh, in the, won the Junior Rose Bowl. Uh, so... I went to watch them practice. I'd already enrolled in Bible college. It's all, it was all done, all set. I was supposed to start the class on Monday, and on Sunday I went to watch football practice at NEO. And after the game, after the practice was over, I went in the dressing room because I had a number of close friends, you know, that I played with and played uh, against that were going to school at NEO. And uh, the, the head football coach at NEO was Newt Rockney. 
uh, not Newt Rockney, but like Newt Rockney. You know, his name was uh, Red Robertson, big, big giant of a fella. And so he, somebody told him that I was in the dressing room. To make a long story short, he came to where I was, and before the evening was over, I had signed to play football with NEO. And I, I, I went home and I called my preacher. It was the shortest telephone conversation in the history of mankind. I said, Bob, this is Max. I'm going to uh, play football for NEO, and then I'll be a preacher. <laughs> and hung up the telephone. Well... Uh, we, again, we were the defending national champions, and we played for the national championship that year. And I was the only freshman uh, on the in the starting rotation, and I played both ways. So I felt really good about things <sighs> till God intervened. God wasn't going to uh, allow something as insignificant as football to intercede in the plan that he had for my life. So if any of you would like to see, I can show you the souvenir that that God gave me on November the 18th of 1960. I have a titanium knee that even starts up here and it goes right down to there. One time (laughs) I was going through the airport going back to Russia and I told the guy, I said, I have a titanium knee. Uh, no, I said, I have a titanium prosthesis. And uh, uh, so he said, oh, wow. He said, can I see it? And so I pulled my pant leg up, and he looked at it. And, of course, it's all inside. And he said, boy, he said, that is the most real-looking prosthesis I've ever seen. <laughs> and I thought, how safe am I if this guy is protecting me from the enemy? But my preacher, both of my preachers, were broadcast sportscasters, and they were broadcasting the game. And so when I went down in the middle of the field, November the 18th, uh, my preacher said over KZOT radio, he said, God just put Max in the ministry. <laughs> and that, that became kind of a famous thing. So again... God has a plan for your life, and he is going to make sure that you follow his plan. And if you try to drift away from that plan, you might find yourself with a titanium knee or something like that, whatever it is that is standing between you and what God wants you to do. And there are lots of things that happen to us. So, uh, needless to say, uh, when I could no longer play football, that temptation was taken aside, and it took. I was in the hospital most of a year, uh, rehabbing the new the knee that the doctor repaired at that particular time. And the following fall, I enrolled in uh, Ozark Christian College and met my wife, and, and uh, you probably know most of the rest of the story from there. But uh, why am I telling you that? Well, because I want you to know that God has plans for you. And if you're going to be happy and fulfilled and successful in life, you need to try 
to allow the plan of God to work full speed ahead in your life. So when I was 70 years old, I was kind of feeling sorry for myself. You know, a guy's 70 years old, he's about getting too old to do anything, you know. And uh, so God spoke to me again. And he said, you know, this next decade of your life is going to be the busiest time that you ever spent. And I thought, ooh, I've been pretty busy. <laughs> How can I be busier than busy? But I found out what he meant. And we're, I'm five years into that decade now. When I first started preaching and our babies were little, my ambition was to be an evangelist. I wanted to be able to get on an airplane and uh, fly someplace to a different town, preach the gospel every night, and the next day fly to another town. And I thought until my wife said, uh, Buddy, uh, God has given you five children, and he expects... No, four children, and he, he, he expects you to stay home and help me take care of them. So that ended my uh, evangelistic uh, career as such. But now, today, I find myself every other week, like next week, I will preach eight times in the course of the week. Then the alternate week, I only get to preach five times. But we preach in nursing homes. We, they're, they're, we, our church, the, where I'm the congregational care pastor, we have a men in the... When I, when I took my job, our pastor said, Max, your job description is very simple. I want you involving our church in every aspect of community life. And that's what I try to do. And, of course, I try to begin the process and then as quickly as possible slide out of the way and let some of the people from the church. And I would recommend the same kind of ministry to not just to this church but to every church. We need the church needs to be out. He said go. I don't think he was just talking about go to India or go to Africa or go to Russia, be a missionary. I think he was talking about just going, period. Using your talents and your gifts and your life to fulfill his story. And that's what people want to hear. That's why we just, we just read that. You know, this fellow, I always wondered why Jesus wouldn't let him go. And then I found out that, do you know, any of you know what the Decapolis was? It was a 10 city league of cities that were Greek cities at the edge of the Roman Empire, and they were filled with uh, Jewish and Arab people. So Jesus didn't want this guy just going along with him where he already had 12 other guys to travel with him. Jesus wanted this guy going out and spreading the gospel where the likelihood those people would hear the gospel was very, very, very diminished. So I want you to know, I want you to understand this. You have the opportunity to go out into your community and share the good news. Your neighborhood, the people that live around you, where you work, where you go to school, if you're still a student, those people 
want to know Jesus, and they're just waiting on you to come and tell them. When I enrolled the very first graduate school class, I, I enrolled in getting my master's degree, uh, which is in practical uh, theology, means primarily plan, starting and planning and organizing churches and evangelistic stuff. But uh, the very first class was a class on evangelism. And this was the principle of the class. The class said that the service area of wherever you're, you are, and I said, well, how do you describe a service area? They say, that's how far people will drive uh, to go to Walmart. But however big that area is, and I'm sure that right here in this part of Sacramento, it's big. There are lots and lots and lots of people. When, when our kids first moved out here, every time we came out here, we had to hunt them down and find them because they'd built an additional 2,000 or 3,000 homes. That's getting ready to start again. And those homes and the schools that you go to and the businesses where you work are filled with people. 30% of them statistically want to come to this church. Guess what? They don't know this church is here until you Start telling them the wonderful things that God is doing in your life. These people in the Decapolis, when, the, when this fellow told all the marvelous things God had done for him, they said they were marveling and they were amazed at the power and the work of God. You, you, my friends, can spread the fame and the fortune and the strength and the power of Almighty God throughout this community, throughout your service area here. People are just sitting on road ready. All they want is for you to invite them. All they want is for you to share with them. You know, when uh, we started planting churches in Russia, Marilyn and I, uh, were responsible for two churches. We planted lots of churches because we had lots of people planting churches. But we planted two, one of them in the city of Moscow and one of them in a little place, a small village of 90,000 people, 150 kilometers uh, from uh, Moscow. Uh, 150 kilometers from Moscow, they didn't have a town full of theaters and opera houses and things to distract the people. And so when they went home from church, guess what they did? They invited their friends in or they went to their friend's house. And instead of talking about the most recent opera and uh, the new music that was being uh, sung in Moscow, they talked about Jesus. And there was not a week passed by during the decade that we led that church there was not a week that passed by that there weren't new faces in the service and new people when we'd been there a year marilyn uh, handled most of the children's ministry and she had she had 150 kids or more in her the the adults that came to church uh, i had about 300 and I thought, ho, 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 they're going to ask me to come home and write books, you know. 
And uh, then we started having some persecution because we were being too successful. And it started going down again. But the point that I'm making is this church is going to grow. This church can explode. But you're going to have to do something about it. You're going to have to get busy. Last year, in 2015, we prayed for 40 days to start the year. And at the end of that 40 days of prayer, we set a goal. We felt like God wanted us to have 100 first-time conversions and baptisms in the year of 2015. We baptized uh, 108. And we had another 220-some that came to us having already been baptized. But this church can do that and even more because you've got a whole lot more people to work with than we do. But these people are going to have to hear your story. They're going to have to know the marvelous, wonderful things that God is doing in your life. Now you say, whoa, marvelous in your life. The problem is so often we just don't pay attention to what's going on. We chalk it up to luck or accident or something like that when it's God that's at work in you. So I, I just hope and pray that this sermon will be a beginning of a great year for Adventure Christian Church of Natomas. I hope that you catch a vision of what can happen when you begin to tell your family and your friends what wonderful things God has done for you. Wow, marvelous. Father God, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for allowing uh, me to preach. I pray that the words that I have shared today have been your words, not mine. And I pray, Lord, that you will be with this congregation of people and its leadership, that they will have received this message in a way that they will begin to do something about it. Help this, Father, to be a year when every person in this church shares the good news of what God is doing in their lives with all of their friends and neighbors. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.